0: For coming, I'm doing a little series on the church God blesses. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the church God is blessing. I, I don't want to be a part of a dead church where nothing is going on. I want to be in a church where God is present and where God is blessing. How about you? All right. You want to be a part of that church? Well, fantastic. That's what we're learning about the church God blesses from Acts chapter 2. Last week we learned that the church is the only thing that is going to last for all eternity. Nothing else on this planet or in this universe is going to last for all eternity. The Bible says that one day God's going to start all over again with a new heaven and a new earth and a new universe. But the only thing that's going on from this one is God's family. okay? And that is the church. That's you and me. People who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to go on forever. So we're looking at the very first church on the day it was born in Acts chapter 2. Now, when you were born, you got all the DNA that you needed for life. Actually, if you want to get technical about it, that happened at the point of conception. God placed in your body all the DNA you would need for a lifetime. So after you were born and as you got older, you didn't get any more DNA because God gave you all the DNA you needed at the point of conception. And when God birthed His church in Acts chapter 2, He gave the church all the DNA we need to accomplish His purpose in this world. And that's why we're looking at Acts chapter 2 today. To check out their DNA and see if our DNA is the same. That church was blessed as it began in Acts chapter 2. And so we want the same blessings of God on us today. Let's read about it. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them that ability." Now, one of the big things that happened on the day of Pentecost when the church was born was that God gave us the Holy Spirit, all right? God gave to the church His Holy Spirit. No government, no business, no organization gets the Holy Spirit except the church. God gave the Holy Spirit to the church. He gave it to us, all right? I read a quote by A.W. Tozer this past week that was rather enlightening to me. He wrote years ago, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. That is an indictment against us, the church, but it's true. He he wrote also, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop... And everybody would know it. Well, God, make us like them. We need the Holy Spirit. And I've prayed all week, Holy Spirit, have your way in our service today. We're looking at the eight DNA of the original church. Last week, we noticed the first two. Today, we're going to add the next three to that list. Just in a very quick review, we learned last week that if we want God's blessing the first thing we must do is pray for God's power. Okay, God's power is part of the DNA of His church. And if we want God's power, we have to pray for God's power. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Eh? So how much power do we want? All right. The only way to get God's power in your church or in your life or for your family is to pray for it. Now, there were 120 disciples of Christ meeting in that upper room. They had been in that room for 10 days. Jesus went back to heaven and he told them, You go to the upper room and I want you to pray and wait until I send my spirit to give you the power to do the work I've called you to do. He said, Now, Don't go out and try to do it on your own because you'll just falter and fail. You go to that upper room and pray and wait. And so they did that for 10 days. They prayed, they waited, they prayed, they waited. They were praying and waiting. And on the 10th day, which was the day of Pentecost, God did it. He sent his spirit. And remember the three signs that appeared? When the Spirit came, number one, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Now, it doesn't say a wind literally blew through the building. It was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The second thing that happened is little flames appeared over everybody's head. Now, Tim, you got to admit, that's a little weird, isn't it? But I'd look out there and, man, there'd be a little flame over your head. Everybody had a little flame over their head. And then everybody in the room, all 120 of them, started speaking the gospel. They started sharing the ABCs of salvation in a language that they didn't even know how to speak. That is ama- Boy, that's amazing. It's powerful. Those three signs represent are symbolic of what the church needs today. The mighty rushing wind... Represents God's power. Woo, we need that in the church today, doesn't it? The little flames of fire represent a church that is on fire. Lord set us on fire. Man, come on. Let's get excited about what God is doing. There's power. There's fire. And then they were speaking these, these other languages, getting the good news out. That means that God is going to bless the church that is multicultural. They're getting the good news of the gospel out. That led us to the second DNA or the second thing we have to do to get God's blessings. We must use everybody's language to get the good news out. Verse 5, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages, about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk. That's all. (laughs) I'll get to that in a minute. But here's the amazing thing. When they were filled with God's Spirit, the first thing they did was become a witness for Jesus. They started sharing the good news in the language of the people. And there are 15 different languages represented in the people who were there. So they were speaking the language of the people, telling them the good news. And Stacy, I'm here to tell you, God blesses a church that spreads the good news. Whether it's in Africa or China or right down the street from us. I said last week, you probably know more languages than you think you know. Yeah? Now everybody in here speak, speaks English, but you know what? We speak football, don't we, guys? We can we can talk football. Yeah, some of you can speak geek, yeah, computer language, whatever it is. Moms, you speak the language of mothers. We all speak the language of something that we're interested in, and God wants us to use that language to build bridges with our friends to spread the good news of the gospel. And God is blessing a church that's doing that. Number three, and here's where we start today. That review wasn't too long, was it? Okay, number three, here's where we start today. We must employ every member's talents. That is, God blesses the church where each member does ministry. That means you. You see, in the very first church, there were no spectators. This was not a spectator sport. 100% participation and involvement. Every member was a minister. There was no audience. Everybody was in the army. All ages, both genders, multicultural. Let me begin reading again in verse 14. Tell you the story. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and they shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I, don't know, I was reading a commentary this past week and, and the commentator said, Peter made a, a joke there. I mean, that's supposed to be funny, yeah? Huh? It's too early for these people to be drunk. And so it was. Verse 16, he said, No. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will all prophesy. And then verse 21 gives this promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, Man, that's amazing. Now, I want you to notice six words that I just read in this passage of Scripture that stand out to me as we talk about God blessing a church where everyone is involved in ministry. Take note of these six words. Sons and daughters. Young and old. Men and... And women, Did you get that? Sons and daughters, young and old, men and women. God says, I'm going to use all of these people for my glory and for my purpose. Sons, daughters, men, women, old and young. Now, you tell me, who does that exclude? <laughs> Nobody, man. Everybody's included. So here's the point. From now on, from this point, Eleven, eleven on whatever today is. October the 11th. Wow. You can't sit on the sideline. From this point on, you can't sit on the sideline because you're either young or old, a man or a woman, or a son or a daughter. And God said, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you, young or old, man or woman, son or daughter, and I'm going to use you because I have given you certain gifts and abilities and talents and resources and I want you to use those gifts, talents, abilities and resources in my church for my kingdom. And he says, if you'll do that, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. And so I want to be real honest with you. I, I told the first service people I, I put a little notation right here in my notes that, that right now you're, you're either going to get real mad at me or you're going to get real motivated. All right? You're either going to get mad or motivated with what I'm about to say. All right, here, here's, here's the way it is for a lot of people. They get saved, they're born again, and they come into a church and they have the mindset or the philosophy, what is the least amount I have to do to actually make it into heaven. And so they, they sit in their pew. And occasionally they might drop something in the offering plate. But they don't take it any further than that. They don't get involved in a small group. They never get involved in ministry. And basically basically, what you're doing. If you've taken that philosophy. And that's what you're doing. really what you're doing is wasting your life. You're wasting your life. And let me tell you. That, you. There are plenty of churches that you can go and do that in. You can just go and sit and listen and go home. We used to say in seminary, people that do that, they, they sit, they soak, and they sour. Because literally, that's what happens. You sit, you soak it up, but if you don't do something with it, you will sour. And then I added another one to that, you start stinking. All right? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you can go to a church and do nothing. You know, nobody's going to challenge you. The pastor's not going to say, you need to get involved in ministry. You need to be involved in a small group or you need to help feed hungry people. You just sit, soak sour and stink. And you can sit passively and they'll never ask you or expect anything out of you. But that's not going to happen here. If you're going to come to this church, I am constantly going to be challenging you to use your life for something bigger than yourself. The other pastors in this church are going to do the same thing. We're going to challenge you to use your life for something more important than you. I am going to challenge you to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Woo! Come on now. And he will add all of these other things to you. That's God's promise. You've got to use the talent, the abilities, the gifts that you've been given any way you can to get the good news of the gospel out. You say, Preacher, give me some practical application. How do I do that? Well, you know what? Every week we every week on Monday we have what's called the food bank. And Holly, this is this is amazing ministry. Twenty years ago, it was about 19 years ago Miss Holly started the food bank for hungry people who had come by and asked for a handout we had a little bitty closet up in the gym building little storage closet with some crackers and sardines in it I think and if people came by we would give them a little sack of, of food that has morphed into this huge ministry where tomorrow at one30 we're gonna feed 50 to 60 families through the year we feed thousands of families who are in need. Now granted there's some people who take advantage of this but, but by and large most of the people who come to our food bank are in desperate need of some help. They've hit some hard times and, and they need to be helped and so we, we give them grocery bags full of, of food. People will start showing up tomorrow morning sometimes at 7 30 a.m. and they'll get their little lawn chairs out and they'll, they'll camp out under the drive-thru, waiting for this food bank to open. And then we have a lot of people who come and help. But you know what? It is an all-week ministry. It literally takes a whole bunch of people to get ready for Monday's food bank. That's just one way you can get your hands involved in ministry, doing the work of the gospel. We share the good news all year long. We've been collecting clothes. You've been bringing and donating your clothes. One of the houses behind us that, that, uh, that eventually we're going to tear down to build a new sanctuary is the garage is full of clothes you've donated. Here, before too long, we're going to have Desi's Closet. We're going to open up our gym, and all these clothes are going to be available to, to give to people who are in need. Here in just a couple of months, we're going to have Adopt a Family. Where we adopt the, the families of, of, of little kids who would never have Christmas unless we gave them Christmas. And on that night of Adopt-A-Family, there will be over a thousand guests that we have come through this building. That literally takes hundreds of us to make Adopt-A-Family work. And I just threw three of them out there. Let me tell you, you come by this church any day of the week and I guarantee you, something's going on. Huh? Because it is implicit in Scripture, if we want God to bless the church, every member has got to be involved in ministry. And as I read this passage, I mean, it's so evident. God is calling sons, daughters, men, women, old and young to do the work of the ministry. But as they do this work, what they're doing is sharing the good news. And the promise in verse 21, if we do that, if we do work in Jesus' name, if we share the good news of the gospel, verse 21 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. God doesn't care what color people are, where they come from, or what they have. Anyone who calls on his name can be saved. Hmm. Wow. Well, that brings me to number four. If we want to be a church that God blesses, we have to be devoted to his word. We've got to be devoted to God's word. That is, we hear it, we read it, we study it, we memorize it, we meditate on it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. If you ever wondered what what is the Apostles' teaching? Well, it's the Bible. Because it was the Apostles who wrote the New Testament. The church that God blesses is built on the Bible. The family that God blesses is built on the Bible. The life that God blesses is built on the Bible. Not on some self-help psychology... Not on some self-help pop psychology. It's only the truth that sets us free. And we don't just study the Bible at this church. We practice it. We don't just talk it. We walk it. There's a lot of churches who study the Bible. but We don't just study it. We do it. We put it into practice. We go out and do the things it tells us to do. We are, as James said, doers of the word. That is the church God blesses. No other message can change people's lives like the good news, the gospel. The word gospel is an old English word that simply means good news. And that's what it is. This is is good news. In Acts chapter 2, we have the very first Christian sermon in the very first church service in the very first church. Peter stands up and he starts preaching. I'm not going to repeat his sermon, but but here it is. I'm going to throw it up on the big screen. Verse 22, he says Jesus is God and his miracles prove it. Verse 23, Jesus died on the cross for us. Verse 24, God raised him back to life. Verse 26, the gospel gives us gladness and joy and hope. Verse 33, he sent his spirit from heaven. Verse 38, we must repent and be baptized. Verse 38, He puts His Spirit inside of us. And verse 40, we can have the power to live differently from the people of this world. Woo, man. No wonder it's good news. Nobody else in the world has this good news other than the church. Your past is forgiven. You have purpose in living and a home in heaven. I want to stand on one foot and be a Pentecostal. Woo! Man, man. That deals deals with my past, my present, and my future. God's got it all covered. That is some good news. So i got to do a quick time out. Have you received the good news? Have you believed the good news? We say here at Kavanaugh Church, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. We all are. B, believe that only Jesus can save you from your sins because he's the only one who can. And C, confess him as Lord of your life as you confess your sins to him. And if you've never done that, boy, I beg you to consider doing that today. Because it's only his truth that can set you free. All your past can be forgiven. New slate, man, you can start all over today. day. Your name can be written on the Lamb's book of life. You can be going to heaven. Man, what a great gift. Have you received that gift? Second thing about this good news that before I go on is, are you sharing the good news? Because that's what this is talking about. That they were sharing the good news. God blesses a church where the people share the good news of the gospel. Not only do we read it, study it, and live it, we share it. So are you sharing it? That brings me to number five. This is our last one for today. God blesses the church where all the members are loving each other deeply. We love each other. It's part of the DNA of the church. Growing churches love and loving churches grow. That's good. Somebody say that's good. That's good because it is good. Growing churches love, loving churches grow. What do you call it when Christians love each other? Well, the Bible calls it fellowship. The Greek word that is used here is the word koinonia. I've always loved saying that word. It's a fun word to say, koinonia. Say it with me, koinonia. Isn't that fun? It's a special kind of love. Only Christians can have this love. It it means a special love that, that I am loving you as a brother or sister in Christ with the same love That I have received from Jesus. So it's not my love I'm loving you with. It's God's love that I'm loving you with. It it, it is amazing. These early believers had this koinonia going on, man. They took care of each other. They genuinely loved each other. They treated each other like family. And if you want God's blessing on your life, you've got to love other Christians, man. If you don't, then you're not going to have God's blessing on your life. We must love each other deeply. We're commanded to. In fact, Jesus said in the New Testament, I command you to love one another. One translation says, you are to love each other deeply. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They all took part in the fellowship, in the, in the sharing of fellowship meals and in praying together. The contemporary English version says they were more like family to each other. You know, when the first church started 2,000 years ago, they were ridiculed by other people, the people of the Roman Empire. In fact, it was against the law to be a Christian. You could actually be killed if you were a Christian. The the Roman Empire did not understand Christianity. They didn't understand the church, and so they persecuted it. Usually, if we don't understand something, we're against it anyway. They didn't understand the church, so they persecuted the church. In fact... They thought that Christians were a bunch of weirdos. In fact, they thought we were wackos. They actually accused the Christians of being cannibals. You say, well, where did that come from? How, how, how did they, how, why did they do that? Well, because they had heard that these Christians do something called the Lord's Supper where they ate the body of Christ and drank His blood. And so they said, these these Christians are cannibals. They're weird. They had all kinds of strange beliefs about Christianity. But the one thing that they said about the Christians that was true was this. Now, those guys really love each other. They got that right. Those people in that church, they really love each other. No doubt about it. Christians love each other more than other people do. They really do take care of each other. They watch each other's backs. They defend one another. They love each other. I got to wonder in this past week, is is that what Christianity is known for today? The early church was known for that. Are are we known for that today? And I, I came to the conclusion, I don't think so. We are, we are known more for what we're against than what we're for. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, there are some things you need to be against because we are in a war between good and evil. And you, you, you can't be neutral because if you get in the neutral mode and say, well, I'm just going to be neutral about that, you become an ally of Satan. You've got to be against some things. And you got to stand against some things. But you know what? You should be known more for what you're for than what you're against. We should be known for our love. You say, Preacher, where'd you come up with that? Well, Jesus said it. Jesus said, By this one thing, now get this, Jesus said this, By this one thing, the whole world will know that you are my disciple, that you have love one for another. Guys, that's huge. Jesus said, if you want to be a witness for me and a testimony for me, this is how you do it. You love each other with this agape kind of love. Now, as I thought about that, my mind went to racing, and and I discovered two times in the Bible, twice in the Bible, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, as the church, we are to greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't do that anymore. Y'all are getting nervous right now, aren't you? They still do it in the Middle East and in some places like that, but we don't do it in America. And it's really interesting when you start studying the holy kiss tradition that for 300 years the church practiced this. For the first 300 years of the church's existence, no matter where you ran into another Christian at the marketplace or down the street or wherever it was, they would greet each other with this holy kiss Not a carnal kiss, not a lustful kiss. There was nothing sexual about it. It was a holy kiss. And for 300 years, that's the way the church greeted each other, with a holy kiss. Then in 300 A.D., some bishops got together and they decided, you know that holy kiss thing, it's not not a good thing because it could cause passion and lust and, and, and something sexual in a person's life. So they forbade the holy kiss. They set a new rule in the church. Nobody can do the, the holy kiss thing anymore. Well, I, I, you know, we don't holy do holy kisses here at Kavanaugh. You know that. But we do do holy hugs eh? and firm handshakes. Man, I'm, I like those firm handshakes, you know. I, I have heard about a couple of teenagers and some widow ladies who are trying to reestablish the holy kiss thing, but it hasn't gone over yet to... That was a joke, all right? It's a poor one. Didn't go over in the first service either, so, you know. Oh, good. Here's the bottom line, all right? Lighten up, guys. Here's the bottom line you need physical affection to be healthy because God wired you that way, God wired your skin to be touched. In fact, I've read that babies who aren't caressed, babies that that aren't stroked, babies who do not get enough physical affection and stimulation on their skin can get what's called failure to thrive. And it actually shrinks their brains. It stunts their mental growth. Some of you never got cared for. That wasn't in my notes either. That just kind of came flying out. Amen. God wired you to get physical affection. You need it. And again, understand church, I am not talking about anything sexual here. I am talking about the brotherly and sisterly affection that the Bible says we are to get in church. We live in a high-tech, low-touch world, don't we? I mean, you, literally, you could go through a whole week and not not associate or talk to or deal with anybody. You'd do all your bill paying on, on, online, go to, go to an ATM and get your money out and order, order food and have somebody deliver it and drop it off at your door. The world we live in. I've, I've pastored for 32 years, and I have had real people tell me, Pastor, the only time I get any kind of physical touch In a whole week. The only time I shake someone's hand or hug someone's neck is Sunday at church. Man, that's sad. I want to challenge you as a member of this church. When you come into this place, you be looking for people that you can give that firm handshake or that holy hug to. Look at people in the eye. Shake their hand. Hug their neck. And from your heart say, you know what, brother, sister, I love you. And I'm thankful for you. You need to do that. You need to give that to somebody. But you know what? You need to get it back too. I say, well, I don't like to hug. Well, get over it, man. Get Get a counselor or something. I don't know. You need it, man. You need it. We need to love each other deeply. I'll tell you, something real funny came to mind. My, I grew up, uh, my first ministry job uh, was a youth pastor in Enid, Oklahoma. My pastor was Buddy Drake. And Buddy, he was a, he was a, he was a, a cowboy preacher. He was the real deal cowboy preacher, you know. And Buddy is kind of funny about stuff. And, and he pulled me aside uh, one Sunday afternoon. He says, now, Will, you can do what you want to. But I'll tell you, here's what I'd do. If it's an old lady, I'll hug her. If it's a young lady, I'll just shake her hand. Anyway, That's pretty good advice, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Somebody needed to hear that, I guess. I don't know. Verse 44, all the believers continued together in close fellowship. The message paraphrase says it like this, they lived in wonderful harmony. How'd they do that? I mean, how did they share this love to each other? Well, it wasn't in big groups like this. They did it in smaller groups. How do I know that? Verse 46. They met in small groups in homes for communion. They shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness. Go Sunday school. Go Bible studies. I mean, you can't get all the fellowship and koinonia that you need in a worship service like this. It starts here, but you need to come back on Sunday night. You need to get involved in some kind of small group where you can share your prayer request and have people love on you. That's the church God blesses. God blesses a church where people are praying for God's power. God blesses the church that uses the language of the people to get the good news of the gospel out. God blesses the church that's devoted to His Word. They not only study it, they live it and they practice it. God blesses the church that is loving to each other. And they genuinely care about each other. And every member is using his or her talents for ministry. That's the church God blesses. Suddenly... There was the sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, all my ministry, I've I've wondered, what did that really look like? What would happen in a service today where something like that occurred? What what would it do to us besides freak us out? (laughs) Really, what would it change us? It would spark a spirit of revival. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be honest with you. My, my whole life in ministry, I've prayed that God would do something like this in, in, in a church that I was a part of, that God would send this, this awesome revival. And I'm hungry for that. I want that to happen. You know, we, we talk about it like something it, that can happen but probably never will. You know what, Don? I, I, honestly, I, I was thinking this morning before I came in here, we pray for that, and we ask for that, and we anticipate that. But guys, I think we're in the middle of it. I mean, God's blessing this church. God is doing something awesome in this place. And, and, and because we're a part of it and, and, and we're caught up in it, maybe, maybe we don't see it. But I've had a, co- a couple of high school students who've, who've graduated and gone off to college and they're trying to find churches and they've called back and said, Man, I'm telling you, I didn't know how special Kavanaugh really was. Churches I've been going to are dead. Music is awful. The preacher can't preach. Man, I wish I was home. <laughs> glad to be a part of this church suddenly there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind and everybody was filled with the holy spirit dr andrew murray pastored in south africa back in the 1800s he he prayed every day of his life since he was a little when he when he was 10 years old his his father taught him to pray for revival from the time he was 10 years old he prayed every day that god would send revival he pastored a pretty big church in South Africa, and every Saturday night they had a special prayer meeting down in the basement of the church. They called it the lower chamber of the church. And, and there was an associate pastor down there conducting the weekly prayer meeting. He was still in his office putting finishes finishing touches on his sermon for the next Sunday morning. But down in the lower basement of the church, uh, as they shared prayer requests and prayed, a little black girl stood up they said she raised her hands and just started praising the Lord and when she did that those present said there was the sound of a wind that came through that room and when that happened everybody did one of two things they either fell on their face confessing their sins to the Lord or they stood to their feet like that little girl and praised the Lord but everybody, 100%, were doing something. And they were all doing it at the same time. Well, this freaked this associate pastor out. He ran upstairs, got Dr. Murray, and said, you need to come down here and see what's going on in the basement of your church. And so Dr. Murray went down there. He was, a, he was a big man, stout man. He opened the door, and he saw and heard all of these voices. Everyone was speaking at the same time, which they did not do that in his church. And so he shouted as loud as he stop it! Stop it! I will not have this confusion in my church! But nobody listened. (laughs) There was an American there who had experienced the 1857 revival in this country. And he tapped Dr. Murray on the shoulder and said, Dr. Murray, God is here. Don't touch the ark of God. Suddenly, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd fill this church with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would stir our hearts Help us to desire to be a life and a family and a church that you bless. And dear Lord, I pray that we would do the things that we've learned in your word today that we need to do to have your blessing on our life, our family, and our church. Lord, for those who need to come this morning and pray and ask for forgiveness, may they have the freedom to do that. For others who just need to come and pray for problems that are in their life or their family, help help them to be able to come. Lord, for the rest of us, may may their... May there birth and be birthed inside of us right now a desire for you, and may we come to the altar and pray that you would bless us in Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? These guys.